We will get started with our review. <laughs> that way as people come, oh, you're fine. I was just saying, I never know if to start at 9.30 or 9.35, because it just depends on the day. All right. It's usually me, Anne, so I'm only here because I had to make the copies. So. <laughs> All right, um, so it's been a while. Uh, <laughs> so I wrote out our whole review. We won't read every bit of it, but um, kind of just to remind ourselves where we've been. Um, I was even sick when Amanda taught, so it's been like three weeks for me since I've been here. So, um, so we'll go over that. Uh, we will have this week and next week, and then just a heads up that September 11th um, will be in the auditorium. Um, and so, and then I don't think there's any scheduled breaks after that. I think, but you know, there might be some that come up. So <laughs> we will see. Um, is it official that we're going through the end of October? No? Semi-official. Semi-official. Okay, so they might have added on an extra date too. So we might go through the very end of October. So just a heads up on that too. Um, I will email you guys out when we know for sure, so we can make sure we're keeping up in our, <laughs> our reading <laughs> um, together. Um, but let's go, let me start with prayer and then we'll, we'll review a little bit. Um, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your great love to us. And today as we just take a look at um, really the observations we make in our world, how we tend to respond, um, I pray that you would help each of us to really apply this in our own lives, to see where we can better um, give our emotions and use them in the way, the good gift that you have given to us and understand how they are a good gift. Um, I pray that you would help me now as there's just a lot of content here, but I really want it to be um, what you you would really like to bring forth. And so I just ask for your wisdom in that as, as we go through this material. And I just thank you so much for how you're working in us and how you continue to, to teach us and grow us um, and that you are with us through all the ups and downs. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, so here's the quick review. Are you ready? I gave you emojis just to make it more fun. <laughs> I know, I know we're all adult women here, but it's just... I don't know. It's just made it more fun for me to put it there, too. And it makes it look colorful, you know? So, well, you guys don't have color, but yeah. Um, <laughs> so emotions are a good gift from God. That is something that has been the overarching theme, right? Um, sometimes because, what we're going to talk about today, sometimes emotions can take us over, right? And, and we get stuck in a really negative place. We tend to think emotions are negative and emotion, emotions are bad. But God made us this way. He made us in his image. We see Jesus' emotion. They are a good gift, right? Um, we just don't always know how to use that good gift, right? We're like the toddler with the, the Sharpie as a gift, right? Um, so we're learning. We're learning how to use that good gift. Um, we talked about how we all actually probably are at different places, right, with our emotions. Some of us tend to get easily taken over, what we're going to talk about a little bit today. Um, some of us just go numb. Some of us are just really confused. We're like, okay, this is why I'm here because I don't understand them. Um, and some of us are just kind of like, I don't know why emotions are a big deal. Okay. Um, and the Bible places the focus really not so much on that, 
but on how emotions help us love him and love one another. You're going to hear that over and over and over in the book <laughs> and from us, because that's really the main thrust here is how do we use these emotions, this good gift, to love him and connect with him and to love each other better. Um, and so that's really where we're going with this. We know there's a lot of problems, right? We live in a broken world. We see it. We know what can go wrong. Today we're going to talk about it a little more, but <laughs> we know what can go wrong. And um, yeah, so that's really the main thrust. Emotions reflect who we are, what we love, what we value. They help us connect with others. They motivate us to take action. Um, hopefully, ideally, what Anna's going to talk about next week is that um, emotions turn us toward God. That's really what we should be doing with them, right? Um, and all emotions can be an expression of worship. Um, if you guys remember, and this might be where you're racking your brain a little bit more, <laughs> but we talked about how emotions mix together to form that swirling paint bucket, right? All the different colors coming in, swirling. And that's why we, the book is called Untangling Emotions. They're, sometimes they're so tangled up, you're like, I don't know what I'm feeling. I'm just crying. I don't know why, if you've ever been there, right? Like, they sometimes get so swirled together. Um, and we talked about our emotions are mixed up because our world is broken and our world's mixed up, right? So you're not going to have just a happy day or a sad day because that's not the world we live in. We live in a broken world where there's a lot of suffering along with a lot of joy. So that's our experience. Um, but there's hope in Jesus, and we keep coming back to that. He's with us in this. Um, we talked about our physical bodies, how that swirls it up even more because God did not create just our physical body and our emotional life and our spiritual life, right? We are one person. Those intersect and influence each other in ways that we don't understand half the time. And sometimes we can't ever even understand. Sometimes God gives us things that are a mystery, yet he's still with us in that. Um, emotions help us connect or share our hearts with, this was Amanda, help us share our hearts with one another in deep and meaningful ways, right? And so we, that was our encouragement. Um, we want to open up to each other. We want to share our emotions because that's how we connect with one another, right? Um, and when we're connected to, we are connected to each other, whether we want to be or not, we are connected to each other because we're connected to Christ and Christ is our head. Um, and that connection means we enter into others' joy and grief and we let them into ours. Sometimes that's harder for people than, you know, ministering to others, right? Um, so that's kind of what we talked about way, way back a few weeks ago. Um, and today we're on chapter six and seven. Um, chapter six is called, Why Can't I Control My Emotions? And chapter seven is called, Two Pitfalls. I told Sean last night, I'm like, I'm really struggling with this. I don't know why. And, and I then realized this morning, I always like to give hope when I talk. That's kind of like, I have to like give you hope and you walk away. These two chapters, look at the titles. There, we're going to talk about the negative today, okay? So hang with me. There, um, I'm going to bring out some of the positive, but it's a little hard for me to just focus and observe what can go wrong. But that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, so remember when I asked you guys, how do you feel about what you feel? That was week one. Um, some of you in here might have said, I hate it. I hate how I feel. I've been there. I'm often there, honestly. And you might have felt trapped. You can't turn off the faucets, right? <laughs> they keep pouring in. And maybe you have emotions that make you feel terrible. And 
first, I'm sorry, like I am, like I, <laughs> I really am, and I hear you. And um, what's interesting that this chapter brought out, if you got a chance to read it, is emotions are instinctive. God made them that way, right? God made them to react and then as an instinct. We're not turning the faucets on and off ourselves. I know some of us think we are. We're not. That's not how God made emotions. Um, so the natural question is, what can I do then if I hate how I'm feeling? Am I doomed to stay trapped in how I'm feeling? This becomes a super urgent question, right, when there's some really bad feelings going on. That's when we talk about depression, anxiety, guilt, sadness, anger, numbness, envy, regret, despair, bitterness, cynicism. Those are the ones we don't want to be stuck in, right? They feel terrible. Um, and it becomes a really urgent question. How do I stop? How do I get out of this? Um, and that's really hard. Um, and it feels as if the emotions are calling all the shots. And I'm not, unfortunately, I'm sorry, because I'm just a person. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to give you any tips and a switch to say, okay, here you go. Here's how you get out of it. God didn't give us that, right? In some ways, we get disappointed. <laughs> We're like, I want this switch. But in other ways, isn't it encouraging that it's not just that we're missing something, right? We're just missing the switch. No, you're human. If you've gotten stuck here, there is great hope. And we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting there. There's great hope. But there's nothing wrong with you, right? This is, this is the human experience. Um, and sometimes we need help from other people. Sometimes we need help from doctors. Some, like, right, it gets complicated. We've already talked about that, right? But God is with you. Um, I debated whether to start with a story about my daughter or a story about Jesus. That sounds really bad, right? Um, where to put the focus here. But I'm going to get personal first, and then we're going to go to the story about Jesus a little bit later. Um, and Julia gave me permission to share it. The reason I asked her is, those of you who know me, I'm super emotional. I don't often get stuck in like the stoic, you know, you can't tell my emotion. Oh, that's not me. That is my daughter a little bit more. So she said I could share, share this um, with you. Um, but she was diagnosed with uh, juvenile idiopathic arthritis, so very similar to rheumatoid arthritis, um, when she was nine. And she was diagnosed with celiac disease when she was 10. Um, so since then, we've continued to add to the long list of both chronic disorders and just unusual one-time things that her body just whacks out and does something weird. Um, that's our norm. And we've literally lost count of the number of specialists. Like, I actually... I kept account for a while, now I don't even know. We've seen so many different types of specialists <laughs> in the last 10 years. Um, but recently, this last year, her hand hurt. She thought she had injured it. She thought, oh, maybe I'm overusing it from typing or whatever. Um, and she began telling me about it every day. Like, my hand hurts, we need to call the doctor. Sometimes she has to do that a few times because, yeah, um, I forget. But we got her evaluated and found out that it was actually, it was her arthritis flaring. And though it was weeks before she could get treatment for pain for that particular flare, she just stopped complaining. And I had to remember to ask her, how's your arm today, right? And she had to stop and think, oh yeah, it's still bad. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I asked her about it and she said, oh, well the pain's always there, but when I know it's arthritis, I just turn it off. I just tell my brain, oh, it's arthritis, I carry on. It's a trick she has. 
learned since she was very little when she got this of how to deal with it. It's kind of sad. It's okay if you feel a little sad. It is a little sad, but it is kind of neat to see too how, how God works in it. Um, when she finally got treatment, they found out she had been doing push-ups on it. There was a tear in her wrist. So if any of you have ever had a tear, you know that that's an extreme amount of pain. You wouldn't know it. They asked her the pain scale. She always says three. She's never gone above five. That's, how she, that's the trick she plays in her mind, right? Hold on to that a bit. We're going to come back to that a little bit later, okay? But I want to introduce that idea that um, how we deal with pain is very individual and different, right? And it's just been interesting to watch her with physical pain in a way that I don't really comprehend, but some of you do. Some of you know exactly what that's like. Um, we're going to turn to Psalm 42. That was in our chapter. Um, I don't know if you guys got a chance to, to read the full psalm or not. Um, the very first verse is probably super familiar to those of you who've grown up in the church. Um, it's, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. So maybe you've heard that song before. Um, and what's interesting is that's a super pretty song based on the first verse of Psalm 42. But none of the rest of the verses are in that song. <laughs> There's a reason. Go ahead and look at this psalm for a minute. Um, and I was just, I don't know, this is my strange brain. I was like, wouldn't it be funny if the song really was like, my tears have been my food day and night while they say, where is your God? And I just kept thinking, like, what if we put that to the pretty tune, right? <laughs> um, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because the oppression of my enemy? And the chorus, the real chorus of Psalm 42 is, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So that starts in the beginning of the psalm. Why are you cast down on my soul? And it's the last verse. So this is interesting because sometimes we look at psalms that are laments. And at the end, the psalmist comes to this conclusion like, like oh, I feel better now. <laughs> I'm trusting in God now. This psalm doesn't do that. He's in turmoil at the beginning. He's in turmoil at the end, right? It's kind of dark. That's probably why we don't hear it as much, you know, <laughs> when we're singing together. But this was a psalm. This means it's a worship song to God with these desperate lyrics when you think about what they're really saying. Um, we know in David's life, like, people were trying to kill him. He wasn't being able to worship God with other people. And he's lamenting that in this psalm, right? Um, he's very lonely. And... What's interesting is that his emotions don't change in the psalm, but his hope in God is always there, right, in the beginning and the end. And the authors of our book say in Untangling Emotions, the lack of immediate change in the psalmist's feelings, however, doesn't mean his battle with his feelings is pointless, nor does it mean he's fighting poorly. It simply means he's human and that the world around him must change at a significant level for his significant emotions to change. So this is a lament. When we say lament, that's what it means. Sometimes we see the suffering of the world and our heart is broken, right? It's a pro proper response, honestly, because things haven't changed. It's still broken. Um, and what David hadn't loved, has, was loving, hadn't changed either. Now, what's cool is we know in David's story, it does change, right? He does eventually um, get to be king and um, some of that suffering ends. 
Um, some of the suffering is new and continues in his life. But um, well, he knows one day God will rescue him. Um, in his kind, it happened in his lifetime. It doesn't always. Um, I just lost my grandmother, and her life was full of suffering until ni- age 93. But in the eulogy, my cousin, who's a pastor, talked about how God gave her a new body, new brain. <laughs> and it was just an amazing thing to think about. Um, sometimes, you know, it doesn't happen here on earth, but our hope is in God. Um, does that make you uncomfortable? Please be honest. It does me. I would rather give you a tip and say, here's the five steps you need to follow to feel good. <laughs> you will now have hope and joy in the Lord and go out there, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Um, we want relief from suffering. Um, we wish that these things would disappear for good. And that's normal. If we wished to be in pain, there would be something wrong with us. That would be a whole other issue, right? Um, but it can be overwhelming. And a flood of negative feeling emotions can feel chaotic. It can feel disorienting. can feel wrong. So in our own wisdom, we often attempt to escape those emotions or change those emotions. And that's where we go into Chapter 9. So that was a real quick Chapter 8. See, I'm, I'm getting better. I'm learning to edit down here. Um, <laughs> So chapter nine, we really talk about two different traps you could go to with escaping or changing our emotions. Um, And at the core of these, I was thinking about it, they look like they're on two opposite sides of the spectrum, but really at the core of both is a centeredness on self, right? And not on Christ. And so that's the hope, okay? We're gonna get there. That's the hope when we center our life on Christ. These things do change, it's slow but these things do um, change a little bit. We talk about two traps. Um, They, I forget what they called them now, but I'll I'll call them my own thing. Um, So one way is really familiar to any of you who have been paying attention the last 50 years in our American culture, okay, right? (laughs) Um, That is that uh, these overwhelming emotions and everything, I don't wanna feel bad, so I'm just gonna chase feeling good and I'm not gonna let anybody or society to define me at all. I'm just gonna chase what feels good. All right, Um, and so they are the people who says that feeling good is our ultimate priority, okay? So emotions are the ultimate priority um, and that they're everything, I think is what I wrote. Let me look at our notes here. Is that what I wrote on the notes? Emotions are everything. Okay, Um, and uh, feeling good is the ultimate desire, it defines you. What you feel is who you are. Um, That means if you feel badly, that is your biggest problem in life, right? So if you deal with sadness chronically, depression defines you, right? It's kind of where that would lead if emotions are everything. Um, That means if you make someone else feel badly, that's the greatest harm you could ever do to that other person. We see that a lot, right? The cancel culture going on today that we talk about. to make someone feel badly is, is considered a, a huge harm if emotions are everything. Um, the goal is always to feel good, to always express yourself authentically, to always affirm others. Get it off your chest. Say what you feel. Follow your heart, <laughs> right? Um, when my kids were little, they were, I think it was like Mulan 2 or something. I don't know. There's this whole song about following your heart. And we used to always joke around and tell our kids, don't. We'd sing the don't follow your heart. Now that I look at it, I probably wouldn't say one or the other because we're going to talk about the other trap in a minute. But that's everywhere, isn't it? Follow your heart. 
is everywhere. And it usually means don't let other people define you. Follow what you think is right inside. Um, so we recognize that. We live in that. Um, we might feel that. Here's the good thing of that shift that's happened in our last 50 years is that it is good that it's a societal norm now to have gentle care for others' feelings. Isn't that a good thing? Aren't you glad <laughs> that that's more of a priority than maybe it used to be? Um, there is less worry about fitting in. That's a good thing, right? Those of you who have been in our Fear of Man class last year, it's a good thing to move away from, you know, being afraid of what people think of you. Um, there's less acceptance of bullying, racism, oppression, unkindness. Those are really big things that we are thinking about now as a culture. And there's freedom for people to be who God has created them to be with less pressure. Those are all good things. However, this worldview of emotions are everything um, oversimplifies the reality. I think they used, this isn't a perfect analogy, but they use the analogy like if emotions are like the dessert. Okay, yes, you can be nourished by eating desserts all the time. But it's not going to be healthy for you, right? It's not going to be the best thing for you because there is more to it. There are more foods out there to living life, right? Um, so it's not a perfect analogy, but it kind of gets us thinking about what we're missing. So what does that worldview miss is that we do have to emphasize character, right, in our lives. We do have to emphasize faithfulness in our lives. Um, if you follow just your emotions, and say, you know, one day you feel sick and the next day you're hungry and you just always follow your emotions, you could be really unstable, right? <laughs> um, we do need some faithfulness and stability. Um, obedience to God, duty to others, um, following something outside of our own standard, right? For us as Christians, that's the Bible. Um, so when people are given unlimited choices on defining everything in life about themselves, um, or what they feel about God, um, sometimes they're really not even sure what will make them happy, right? So then we start chasing different feelings to see, will this make me happy? Will this make me happy? Will this make me happy? And sometimes things feel good right up until they don't, right? Um, and we can feel confused, lost, unstable when the center of all things is us and what we feel. Um, and it can encourage, basically, I mean, it can encourage selfishness, right? <laughs> um, the truth is emotions do tell something really important about who you are. That is true in this worldview that emotions tell you who you are. It does. Because emotions communicate. They can't be controlled. We're going to get to that in a minute. Um, they're communicating what's actually going on inside your heart, what's going on inside. And we should be authentic and honest even when it's not comfortable, right, with ourselves and with other people. Um, but when, the, when there's too high of an emphasis on what we're feeling, then emotions can rule. They can take control. They can rule over us more than God and his Holy Spirit is ruling over our life. Um, so again, emotions are meant to turn us to God, to help us connect to him. Um, so this trap... It's easy to see because it's usually loud and proud, right? <laughs> it's like, I'm shouting it out to the world, like, I'm going to be who I'm going to be, and I'm going to follow what makes me happy and don't get in my way, right? So it's kind of easy to see. Maybe it's a little harder to see in our own lives, though, right? When emotions are maybe taking too much control over us, it's a little harder to see. Um, this other trap, though, it doesn't look like a trap at first, okay? And so 
Um, I called it, I called this first one spiraling, like when your emotions are spiraling. This is, other one I call stoicism. Um, this says emotions are nothing, okay? <laughs> emotions are nothing. They're entirely untrustworthy. Don't follow your heart, right? What I used to tell my kids. I don't know that was quite right. Um, keep a stiff upper lip. Uh, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Some of you get that. Um, that's from Star Wars. Uh, but this trap says that you should be <laughs> radically... Uh, somebody took you a minute there. Yeah, that's Yoda. That's Yoda. I'm not very good at voices, sorry. Um, but that, this trap t says that you should be radically in control of your emotions at all times. Don't outwardly express your emotions. Never take action on them. You take action first, and your emotions, they'll follow along, right? This trap sees suffering in the world, and instead of embracing and grieving over it, it emotionally distances itself from that suffering. And it, because, usually it's fear, honestly, guys, it's usually fear, right? Recognizes that a flood of emotions can bring chaos into your life. And so this trap says, controls the highest priority, self-discipline, stoic non-response to pain, right? Um, and this isn't picking on my daughter, by the way. <laughs> We've talked about this is, she's told physical pain's a little bit different than emotional pain, but she literally said, no, I'm not in pain, right? This is what it is, only doing it in the emotional world, okay? Stoicism. Um, think John Wayne, tough guy in a Hollywood blockbuster, right? Uh, Jedi Knight in Star Wars. Um, they're not allowed to marry or form emotional attachments. That would hinder their work, right? Um, there's a Christian version of this trap as well. So Star Wars would be more of that Buddhist, like Eastern mysticism version of it. But the Christian version is often a response to a world that says, follow your heart, do whatever makes you happy. We're like, oh, well, that doesn't sound like the Bible. So I'm going to go over to stoicism. Okay, It's often an overreaction. Um, so you could tell yourself that any negative emotion is inappropriate given that God is in control of all things. If God is in control, which he is, by the way, that's a good truth. But if God is in control and it's happening, then he wants this suffering to happen. It's working for good. So then, then you conclude, and here's where we get off, off kilter. The only reason I'm feeling badly is because I don't have enough faith and I'm not trusting in him. Okay, all of those things on their face could be correct, right? However, stoicism refuses to engage the emotion and jumps past it by saying, well, God's in control. He wanted this to happen. I'm not going to feel anything. Carry on, right? Stiff upper lip. Think about if you did that to someone else who is suffering, if you said that to them. That would be a big ouch, right? Some of you maybe have been on the receiving end of that. Like, you just need to have more faith. You're not trusting God. You know, you're crying that you lost somebody. Well, come on. Get up, let's go, right? Some of you have been on the receiving end and that hurts, right? Because when true deep suffering happens in life, to be told by others that it's because you don't have enough faith or that you need to suck it up and carry on, that's not a compassionate response, is it? And it's not the response we saw with Jesus and Lazarus. If you remember, we talked about how he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knew what was about to happen. He's sovereign, right? And he cried with the people who were in pain right before he raised him from the dead. That is a compassionate response to suffering. And it's not afraid of the emotion, right? Um, and it's not what we see in Psalm 42, 
right, where he's crying out to God. Um, he's saying, why have you left me, God? And he's giving God an, a chance to show him I haven't, right? And he hasn't. Um, honestly, this type of uncompassionate response to other people's suffering, it usually is very self-centered because it's like, if I enter in and feel your suffering, well, man, what's going to happen in my life? Man, if this person is struggling, <laughs> like, I don't want to really acknowledge that because, man, God might sign something terrible in my life, right? That's usually where we go with this a lot of times. So we want to put a happy face on it and not really fully engage with other people's pain because we're afraid of being in pain ourselves, right? And that's a, a, not an others-centered, Christ-centered response. Um, sometimes we know what this is like when in the church only positive emotions are allowed, right? So people try to control the message. They try to control the messiness of the suffering and do God's job for him. Um, <laughs> so like, well, faith conquers our sin and faith conquers death and faith is given to us by God. It never says faith conquers negative emotions, right? It doesn't say because you have faith, you're not going to experience sadness and grief and anger. That, that's not true. Um, Faith doesn't promise that. And it's not our job to make God look good. Sometimes I know we think it is because we're like, well, we're supposed to reflect Christ. I, I get that. But when something suffering happens, it's not our job to make God look good and clean it up and sanitize it. It's not our job to make the church look good. We aren't in public relations, okay? It's our job to allow God to work in us. That's our job, right? And sometimes it looks messy. And sometimes when you enter into other people's pains, you're like, holy cow, <laughs> like this is hard, right? But if we allow God to work in us and in them, that is what's glorifying to God. So if you can tell, both traps oversimplify um, our emotions and they don't really wanna recognize God, that emotions are a God-given gift. Um, in one, we elevate the gift above the giver, right? So emotions are everything. We're like, okay, the emotions are the, the cool thing, not God right? <laughs> the gift, not the giver. In this other trap, we deny that the gift's a gift because it might make us feel out of control or uncomfortable. So in this trap, we're again elevating ourselves above the giver. Like I'm more important than using this gift God has given me. Um, so when we fall into these traps, we miss out on the aspects that emotions can help us obey God. Emotions can help us connect with the Lord that they're actually, we should listen to them because they're a very important source of information about what's going on in our hearts. So if this seems pie in the sky, I've been really trying hard to be like, how do I bring this down? So for instance, with stoicism, it might be um, you just find out that, um, you know, your child didn't get the position that they wanted, right, in their, I'm such not a sports person. Okay, in their team, or I was about to say, like, the part they got to play. That's, that's our life. But, like, okay, so your child's upset, right? And you could choose to respond by being like, you shouldn't be upset. What's wrong with you? Be a team player. Let's go, right? That could be how you counsel your child. That would not be helping them use the God-given gift of emotions that God gave them. Instead, you could say, you're sad because you really desired like, you really wanted this, right? Like, you really love this sport. You really love this play. You really wanted that. And help the child to see why. Like, yeah, I'm really sad because I really wanted this. And I worked super hard. I've been working super hard. 
And then you could say, well, that makes sense, right? And you could help lead them to understand what's going on with that emotion. And then once they understand it, you can be like, well, are you being kind of selfish and not being happy for other people, right? <laughs> that could be something that's there that's often there. Or are you just sad because you worked so hard and it failed? Like sometimes that happens, right? That's a hard thing to deal with. But there's probably a lot of mixture of things that you can work through. And then you take an action. I stole Anne's thunder a little bit. That's what we're going to talk about next week, <laughs> like how to engage them. But I want to just give you tangible things here of what it would look like to deny emotions and be like, oh, you that's stupid. Like we do it to our kids all the time. That's stupid. You shouldn't be sad about that, right? <laughs> it's true. It probably is silly what they're sad about to us, but not to them. It's reflecting something that's important to them. And they need to understand it. They need to name it. They need to understand how to do this, too. Guess what? If we, that was done to us a lot as kids, maybe we don't even understand what we feel half the time, right? Maybe we don't go through that process. So anyway, that's maybe an example. I hope that helped a little bit. Um, another instance could be, say you have a real manly man type person, okay? Or maybe you have like a real girl boss type of person, right? Like either one, um, they never cry. Never show fear. That's not allowed. That's not acceptable in their worldview. But they get angry often. And in fact, it seems like anytime they feel any emotion, what comes out is anger. Because anger is the only acceptable emotion for them to show in their mind. Okay? That happens. And that's a real problem, right? Then you get a real, what you think is a real angry person, but maybe there's actually fear, sadness, all these other things that they're not engaging, right? Going on there. Um, and so you can see how that can create a lot of problems down the road because um, we're not using the gift God gave us in the way that he wants us to. Um, we're not humbling ourselves, honestly. This is about humility. Um, so emotions are intuitive. Stoicism thinks you can control it. I can control it. I can turn this off. It's still there, right? And you're not using it for what God wanted you to use it for. Um, so I already kind of went over a little bit of well, where we're going next week. Um, but you have it in your notes. We need to learn to name the emotions without judgment. Like, don't say, I'm not angry. Nope, I'm just hurt, <laughs> right? Um, you can name the emotion because anger is not a sin. Anger about the wrong things could be a sin, right? It could be selfish, but anger itself is not a sin. So just name the emotion, then figure out why you're angry, then kind of examine your motives and what's going on there, right? So take a beat. Realize that the emotion's not the problem. It's, what, it's just a, um, a signal of what's going on inside your heart. Um, Matthew 26, 38. So we're going to go to our story again of, of Jesus. Um, this is also going to be in our next chapter. So I'm not going to go totally in depth because I don't know what Anne's going to do with it. But I want to introduce it. That Jesus is sorrowful even to death. Um, he talks openly to his friends about that. Right? He says, pray. Please pray. Right? He doesn't tell them exactly why, but he says, please pray with me. They fall asleep. He goes and prays. And in it, in verse 38, he says, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Okay? His soul is filled with emotion. And we do not see the Jesus that maybe you've gotten in your head from media depictions. You know, we have all the different paintings and all those kinds of things. We think of him as maybe this Jedi. Real, 
that's not the picture we see in the gospel, is it, right? Here's a man on his knees who is in so much sorrow about what he knows is about to happen that he, in one of the gospels, it says that there's even blood coming out of his sweat, right? That is stress. That is intense. That is passion. He's feeling everything, right? And what's he doing? He's praying. He's going to the Lord with this intensity of what's about to happen because he was human, right? What would it be like for us to go through this, right? He felt all that, but he's going to God with it and he's praying and he's praying and he's praying. And then the action happens and he's able to act, right? In the way that he needs to act, not being controlled by the emotion, but it's not because he stuffed it down. It's because he engaged it in prayer with the Lord. And that really struck me this week as I was thinking about that example um, of just how much he is our example in that. Um, So emotions can trap us, but they're not the enemy. They're given by God to help us, to bless us, to help us connect with him. And there are times when suffering and turmoil persist, like in the psalm. Um, But there are also times when being stuck in bad feeling, it completely can change when we engage with the emotions the way God has intended. So sometimes God doesn't give relief, right? Um, But he does give us moments of relief. And sometimes he does change it completely, right? Sometimes maybe there really is a bunch of sin in our hearts, right? We need to repent and that changes the emotions, right? Um, So the reality is that our emphasis in life is not on changing the emotions though, but how to participate with God in a process of ongoing heart change. And that's where we're going in this book. Um, So I'll close here with um, why I shared Julia's story in the beginning. Um, So this winter, her theater group, um, you know, angsty teenagers, but I love it, artsy, angsty teenagers here decided to write monologues um, to share based on their own lives, so in their own voice. It was them talking. And some of the students shared intensely painful stories of, of their depression, anxiety, body dysmorphia, a lot of things you you know are out there, right? And the theme was that while this was all going on inside them, they were telling other people, I'm fine, I'm fine. Um, Julia was the very last monologue. And when she came, she talked about her arthritis. She talked about doctor's visits, trying new treatments, and pain from the eyes of a child and growing up with it. And she ended her monologue asking, am I fine? Okay, so of course I was in tears, right? Like, <laughs> like I was gone listening to it. But I, I can't tell you how immensely proud I was in that moment. She was owning her story and, and telling it for the first time, like publicly. I was like, whoa, what's going on? Um, but she did the step one. She named the emotion instead of burying it, right? She didn't do a trick here. She said, this is hard. This is a hard way to live, right? And for years, honestly, she's been praised for how strong she is and how sweet she is, how she never complains, how she never imposes on others. All of that is true. But she now admits a lot of that is she just didn't want to be pitied. So don't go up to her and say anything, okay. But no, she just didn't want to be pitied. And so she kept that on, right? And this monologue wasn't a complaint. It was a lament, right, of the suffering in her life. And afterward, a man who also had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis when he was younger, he came up to her and he thanked her for sharing what was his story too. 
And it was the first time that something she had written, she's a writer, like, but it was the first time something she had written actually made like a tangible difference to someone else. And she got that feedback because it was her real story, right? And it's amazing when we step out to engage our emotions, instead of hiding them, how God will use that, right? Um, how he will help us connect with him when we're honest and humble and how we will connect with other people. So that's my encouragement. That's the hope. That's where we're going. Um, I hope that was helpful as we look at this world. And, you know, if you disagree with some of it, that's fine, too. These are just observations, really, of how we do interact with our emotions that aren't helpful. Um, but I'm really excited for next week. <laughs> so.